everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today. This is the Codependent Perfectionist Podcast, and I'm Alana Carvalho. And today I have a special guest on. I'm super excited about this. Um, Her name is Heather Chauvin. And Heather wrote a wonderful book that um, I recently read, and she's going to be talking a bit about the book um, and, you know, her journey throughout, which I think is really relatable to um, most of the people listening. So Heather, could you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about um, your book? Yes. Thank you, Alana. Um, Okay. So every time I'm asked this question, I don't know why I get like, who am I? Right. That question. It's yeah. such a big question because everyone's like, who are you? What do you do? Right. And I think, you know, the more you do this work, the more you keep asking yourself that question of who am I? Who am I? And it really has nothing to do with the work that we do in the world. Mm. Um, so there's my little, you know, woo woo, go deep, um, <laughs> you know, right off the bat. Um, So I'm Heather Chauvet and my podcast is called Mom is in Control, the book Dying to Be a Good Mother. Um, And a little bit of, you know, the background on me. I used to be um, a former social worker. My my love of this work actually came through mental health. Um, I have three boys. They are 16, 11, and nine. Mm -hmm. And um, it was really the journey of motherhood that cracked me open. So 16 years ago, I was 18 when I became a mother. Um, And I just remember, you know, looking at my son thinking, not this, not, not this. And not only, I just never wanted my son to feel the way that I felt. Mm -hmm. And so I dove headfirst into, um, really understanding human behavior and getting educated and then later becoming a social worker, uh, focusing on mental health. Um, and at the same time, having my own, I guess, spiritual awakening Mm -hmm. around, um, you know, feeling like seeing the contrast and the disconnect of modern mainstream education and perception And then how I felt inside and from an early, from like my early days of personal development, I could see this dissonance of here I am educated, doing everything I possibly can as a parent and a mother and still feeling like I'm failing. Mm -hmm. And internally my inside saying to me, there has to be something else. There has to be another way. Mm -hmm. And so it was really my son whose anxiety was showing me um, how to jump into mindfulness and meditation and really understanding the mind and our thoughts. And then when I started my business, it was really child parent focused. So fast forward to almost eight years ago now, which is um, what kicked my butt and made me Uh, write the book, which is dying to be a good mother. I was diagnosed with a stage four cancer. Mm -hmm. And at the time um, I left my job already. I was about, I was a few years into my business, but I was about six months into really taking my business seriously, you know, where you cut those cords and your safety net. And then you're like, oh crap. And then you get this diagnosis. And I was kind of backed into a corner Um, having to face everything that I was avoiding, um, my money, my time, my energy, my health. Um, and it was just this like personal growth on steroids, just causing me to rapidly up level in every area of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, and I believe 
that it was um, a product, a symptom of the modern culture of motherhood and womanhood in general and humanhood, but really about how I was constantly cutting off, dying um, parts of myself, my physical body, like neglecting my own needs um, to please other people first, um, because that's what I thought a good mother did. So after that, while I was still building my business, um, I was still parent focused, um, but I just said, enough is enough. You know, we, we keep using our children's behavior as the excuse of why we can't do something or, you know, we need to fix their behavior when in reality, we need to learn how to manage our big emotions while we're in relationship with our children. Right. Right. Absolutely. And I I think there's so many parts of your story that felt relatable for me. Part of, part of it just being like your journey with being a, you know, a mental health clinician, Um, of course the part about parenting and losing yourself and, you know, trying to be the best parent you can be, um, you know, and not taking care of ourselves. I think there's just, there's so much. And then there's a spirituality piece I want to touch on at some point as well. Um, but let's stay there for a moment, I guess, you know, as a parent of younger children, um, I, can entirely relate to the concept that like to be a good parent, you have to basically let go of who you are and just focus on your children. And of course I get a lot of people who are listening to this podcast and a lot of people interested um, in doing therapy with me who are in that same mental space. And and I know personally, I've done a lot of work to move myself out of that. Just of course, as you have. Um, And I wonder if you could maybe speak a little bit to people who are in that place of really struggling um, of how to take care of themselves while also parenting their, their children. Mm -hmm. Well, first I just want to say it's okay Mm -hmm. to be in that place. There's no shame. Um, Well, there's lots of shame of being in that (laughs) place, but um, if you are feeling that shame, like I just give you permission to know that, you know, sometimes I still find myself back in there moments. Um, I'm not there very often um, anymore, but, you know, our brain has a way of trying to keep us safe. And so um, sometimes we're doing all the things and we're like, what else am I not getting right? Right. Like, why am I not there? So I just want to let you know if you're there, if you're in it, Uh, you're stuck, you haven't taken action, or you've taken lots of action, and you still feel like you're in it, you're a normal human being. Mm -hmm. Um, That said, I remember when I was in that state, and I, like I said, I don't go there very often, but it could just be like a quick fight or flight trigger for me. And somehow I end up back there. um, Not very long. But I remember being in there. And in that state, that survival crisis state that like can barely catch your breath. Um, and I, I, I remember having this feeling of like seeking mentorship, like actually looking outside of myself for women who represented, um, thriving while raising a family Mm -hmm. and whatever bubble I was in, I couldn't find it. I could not find it. What I was finding was women who were raising children who, were putting on this mask of success mm-hmm. and living in a masculine energy and burning out. And they were angry and resentful and almost like 
they were avoiding the parenting stuff. Mm. And there was so much like avoidance there and ego. Yeah. And then I would see it on the other side where it was like, suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> so that was, remember, this was almost 16 years ago and a lot has changed since then. Um, and maybe it's because of the world that I'm in now, but I'm, I really am seeing women who are like, you don't need to do it all. Right. Your house does not need to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, mine definitely isn't. And the more internal control that I created for myself, the less I tried to control the external. Right. So what that meant was I wasn't I wasn't being so perfectionistic about my children's behavior. Um, you know, you're in the, you're in the grocery store, they're having the epic meltdown and, you know, I'm like, no, you're not getting the candy right now. And you can feel all your big feelings, right? right? Like go do it, have your thing. People are staring at you, right? You might feel the volcano erupting inside of you, but you're just looking at them and you're like, Hey, you gotta, you gotta keep two meters away from me anyway. So just yeah. walk by, walk by. Right. <laughs> a good thing I have a mask on right now, yeah. like whatever we do, but it's like, it is what it is. So the more inner work you do to feel energized and alive, the more external you're like, you can let things go. Now there's a strategy to that, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but that's, that's my little nuts and bolts version. Sure. And, and I love what you're talking about because, you know, as someone who constantly talks about codependency and perfectionism um, and as has children myself, you know, I have no control over their behavior. And of course I want, I want us to look perfect and yes. like everything together all the time. Right. So of course, what does the universe provide me with, but a child who is strong willed and could care less what we, how crazy we look wherever we are. Right. So, oh yes. Um, you know, that's what happens to us. And it's, it's funny how that works. Right. Because I really, I have no control over, over her and how she behaves and what, you know, the tantrum she's going to have. Um, and that pushes all of my stuff, you know, even someone I've worked on codependency for God, like almost two decades now. And it's like, I, you know, it still comes up here and there, like you're talking about. Um, and I think having children, even though I worked on it so much before having kids, of course, it brought it all up for me in a whole different way. Mm -hmm. um, but of, I also believe firmly that having a, one of my children be like that is also entirely perfect, right? Because it helps me help other people let go of exactly what you're talking about, right? That like, it doesn't need to look perfect. And um, we don't have kids that just do whatever we say all the time because, you know, we care about them and love them. Like they're, they're going to do their own thing. And actually, um, it's a really wonderful quality about our kids too, when they can kind of speak up for themselves and, um, let us know when they're not okay with something. Doesn't yeah. mean they're going to get their way, but you know, good that they're telling us. I was just um, actually having this conversation with my son the other day because he's 16 and he did something not so intelligent, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is, you know, when your brain is not fully developed, that's totally acceptable-ish. Yeah. And I, so there's me and then there's my husband and we 
parent differently. Um, And I've come to terms with the fact that the male and female brain are wildly different Mm -hmm. and men and women are raised differently. And therefore they're going to have their own set of, uh, you know, wounds that we need to heal. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're going to parent our children differently. And I could see, I said to my husband, try not to shame him. Right. Right. Because, and I said, we're at a point now where he calls me out on it all the time and I don't get triggered. Hmm. And sometimes I can tell he's calling me out to try to get out of things. And I was like, ah, you can't do that. But he'll say to me, you're so different. Like my friend got punished for this and Hmm. everything was taken away. And I said, well, what happened? He's like, his mom just keeps yelling at him every time they have a conversation. Hmm. And he's like, you don't yell. You're having a conversation with me and I have to take responsibility for my action. But like my job is not to beat my child down. He's already doing that to himself mentally. And so I see it though. I see it where the shame comes up and the, I'm not enough and the resistance and all of that. And I'm like, we're all human. We're just trying to figure this out. And it doesn't matter how hard you try to be perfect and read all of those damn parenting books. You're still, you, you have to surrender to the fact or come to terms with the fact that your children are going to have all the human emotions like you, and you may screw them up in some capacity. Yeah. And and you will, right. I mean, like we're all just human and it's just a part of the process. And I I tell my, my parents that I work with all the time, you know, like we're all going to do that because that's just part of the human condition that we're not perfect and we won't be able to make sure we meet our kids' needs all the time in the exact right way. Yeah. Um, but that said, I I appreciate the way that you're speaking with your son because I think a lot of parents miss the miss the boat on the importance of not focusing as much on that um, punishment piece, but but really allowing it to be more of an open dialogue of our, you know, our children and our adult children, wherever, whatever stage you're at, being able to talk with us about the difficulties and the screw ups and, um, you know, all of the stuff that they're going through. It doesn't, there's a difference between, I think, um, especially people with codependency issues tend to struggle with the, the extreme of being um, permissive versus um like punishing and i i want them to understand that there's so much in between those two places um and and it doesn't mean right like if we're not punishing our child it doesn't mean that we're being permissive um but we can be permissive if we're not addressing the issue with our kids right it's mm-hmm. not like we're saying oh okay it's fine whatever you did no it's not that it's fine it's it's something we really need to talk about. Um, and it's not okay, but it doesn't mean that, you know, taking away some privilege is what actually is going to get through to the person. Um, you know, and, and it's fine. I mean, if that, if, if you use that, you can use it. It's okay. I mean, I, I worked with parents of teens for such a long time and it's, I say to them, you know, you can do that. It's not what's actually going to get through to them. So if your focus is on trying to help them navigate these like difficult situations that they're going through, um, you have to try something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And every relationship is built on trust. Right. So 
sometimes, yeah, first of all, parents do the best that they can. Like yeah. I've worked with, I mean, I work with parents who pro are proactive right now, like active. If you're listening to this podcast, oh yeah, <laughs> you care, right? And you are doing whatever you can to be proactive, and you don't want to be reactive, but you are. Right. But you're also voluntarily looking for information. I've worked with parents who involuntarily needed my services and it was mandated, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a whole other can of worms. But here's what I've witnessed. It doesn't matter who you are. um, I've never seen a parent who didn't care, even if they, by society standards, don't care. I don't think there's a good or a bad parent. I think there's traumatized people. Right. And when someone has gone through a lot of trauma, when you actually know their story, you're like, how did you get up this morning? Like that in itself was a success. And I think we forget that our children are people too. And when we're yelling and screaming and punishing, really we're, we're just out of control with our big emotions and we're trying to control somebody else. Right. And so the frustrating part for me, as I've grown as a human and every day is another new learning opportunity is that my children have had, have learned this new way to communicate. And so we've had difficulties with every system that my children have been involved with because other adults don't respect children. And that's the frustrating part, because how do you tell a child who, you know, the frustration is, okay, you're not doing your homework, right? You're not academically succeeding. So we label children or, you know, why did your behavior do that? Like, why are you acting like this? When the truth is the child is overwhelmed and they're shutting down or the child is not passionate Um, or aligned with their passion. So they're shutting down because they're becoming numb or the opposite happens and they act out of anger Mm -hmm. and we're judging the behavior and we're not asking ourselves, what is this behavior telling me? So when you start asking yourself, like, why am I resisting that? Why am I avoiding that uncomfortable conversation? Then we get to start asking ourselves these questions about our kids and every other human. And then you have more compassion when that person is angry at you and you're like, no, they're just extremely overwhelmed and it has nothing to do with you. Right. Absolutely. I mean that, yeah, you know, it's so, because we have so much going on in our lives, particularly as parents, and then adding in what our child is going through, Mm -hmm. I think, um, it's hard for us to take a step back and try to have that perspective that you're, that you're talking about, you know, and, I agree with you in acknowledging and honoring the people who are listening um, that they obviously want to work on themselves in some way and work on, you know, their parenting or their relationship with their children. And I think when we don't, when we're so overwhelmed in our lives, it's hard for us to do what I just said, which is take that step back and ask the questions that you just asked, like, um, you know, why is my child feeling this way? Why are they acting this way? What's going on? Um, And not in in a harsh way, really like with curiosity, right? Um, A lot of times we ask in like such frustration, like, oh my God, why are they acting this way? You know, rather Mm -hmm. than like getting curious and saying, oh, I I really wonder why they're acting this way, you know? 
Um, and I think when we can get some space from it, we can allow ourselves to be more curious and get more information that actually allows us to see it more clearly. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that looks different for everybody. Like sometimes space means, uh, we need to take care of ourselves better. Like we need to, um, you know, be eating healthier or do exercising more, whatever it is. And sometimes it's about getting more childcare, right? Like having literal space from our children. Mm -hmm. Um, but in, in regards to that, I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to, um, you know, such a big focus in the book is your cancer diagnosis and then, um, you know, your journey through that and how that had to, that literally gave you some of that space that, that I'm talking about. And I'm, I'm wondering if you can share, um, maybe a bit about how recovering from that process, you were still able to kind of find more balance in your life. Yes. I love, love this. The first that just to like circle back on the last thing you said is when we're asking ourselves these questions of like, why are my children doing what they're doing? And this will pertain to the next question. Um, don't ask the child. Right. No, absolutely not. <laughs> because they're not going to know. Yeah. And I think that like, that's a very emotionally intelligent question to ask yourself. And when we come from a culture that is like, don't feel you know, anger's bad. Mm -hmm. Um, we are adults, right. Yeah. Which is children in an adult body. Um, not even understanding our own emotions. So how can we understand, how can we expect a child to understand theirs? Right. And that's where it comes to the self-awareness. And so cancer, um, the book is actually really interesting because I, I don't identify as a cancer survivor. Um, I, a large part of my identity, I did not want like my brand to be about cancer. It's, it's a part of my story. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't identify with it. Like I often forget that I had it. Um, except people ask me about it all the time. So I'm like, Oh yeah, that happened to me. And I'm like, well, that's probably a trauma response, but mm -hmm. whatever. <laughs> And, and I'm letting, like, it's just not a part of my identity, but right. here's, here's the deal. Cancer gave me permission to learn how to feel alive. Mm -hmm. And I get so many women telling me, I just wish that something happened to me so that I could get a break from my life. Right. And the truth is I heard this a lot during COVID. Um, like, oh, I'm so glad we don't have to run all over the place or, you know, the slowdown. Um, well, depending on their life circumstances and of course what has happened. Um, but, and I was like, yes, but are you going to remember this lesson? Right. Like, are you, are you going to remember this lesson or when things shift, are you just going to go right back into the rat race? Right. And you know, I've had people be like, I just want to get in an accident so I can go to the hospital just enough so I can get a break from my life. And I was like, really? That's yeah. what's on your wish list? Right. Like that is really what's on your wish list. In your mind, you will not give yourself permission to slow down. You're waiting until something bad happens to you right? in order to do that. So for me, yes, it was the slowing down of the space. But the truth is that 
it was always there. Like cancer wasn't my big aha moment. Mm -hmm. Like I was invested in personal development nine years before cancer. I had the podcast. I listened to podcasts. I read the books. I went on the retreats. I had the coaches. I did it all. But that one part, nobody ever called me out on it. Mm. That part was like, Heather, you say you want this, but you go do this. Right. And I see it all the time now mirrored back at me in with my clients. And I'm like, what's going on? And it's the primal part of the brain. That's like, I am not worthy and I need to run away from this. So when life gives you like, when you can't run away, right. When you're strapped, not strapped to a bed, but when you have no energy and you have to completely surrender, you're building yourself from the ground up Mm -hmm. and getting that space. I was like, what do I want? Mm. And why do I want it? And how do I want to feel? And there was this moment when I remember saying, I'm done. I will never suffer like this again in my life. And it was a conscious choice that I made. Like it was a little checkbox. And every time now somebody asks me to do something or it's like, Hey, do you want to start this big project? Or you, and I was like, is it profitable? Is it going to make a big impact? Is it in alignment with how I want to feel? And is it all of these things and having boundaries of what I will show up for and what I won't show up for? Like, yes, I will do that thing. I have big dreams and goals to give back, but I won't do it with a cracked cup anymore. I will not do it empty. It's like, yeah, I'll do this and I'm going to contribute this way. And this also needs to happen. So my standards have, have risen. Absolutely. For myself. And, um, a lot has changed, but really the only little pivot that I made inside of me was I, I started deeply respecting myself. Right. Yeah. That's such a big, I mean, that to me, that's so foundational to the recovery process, particularly for, um, codependents and perfectionists and, I think you speak really well to what that, that looks like. Um, because we're like short on time right now, I'm like, oh, I want to touch on so many things you said. I know. Um, <laughs> I, can't, I want to say something about codependency for a second. Yeah, go ahead. I never identified as someone having codependency because okay. I was misindependent. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that my codependency was on rescuing people. Right. And when I was diagnosed, there was a lot of people that could not handle my diagnosis because the strong person was weak. Right. And I watched them crumble around me and I didn't have the energy to pick them back up. Right. And that has been the lesson of codependency that I've been unraveling since then. Of course, many, many more, but watching being in this industry of helping people Also saying like, listen, here's the tools, here's the strategy, here's my boundaries, but I can't do this work for you. Right. And yeah, the the codependency of wanting to rescue and help people, including my children, has been my journey. So I just wanted to say that because I think sometimes people identify, I'm not codependent, like I'm this independent. <laughs> and, and yeah, yeah. And that's something, I mean, I identify myself as an independent codependent because to me, that's just the other 
um, it's one of the extremes of how it shows up, you know, sometimes yeah. it shows up in an extreme dependency and sometimes it shows up in, a, in an extreme independence. Mm -hmm. um, and those of us, I think, who are mental health providers are generally more on the, the independent piece, you know, of that spectrum. And so, you know, we create a lot of dependencies on ourselves. Um, of course, we don't think we're dependent on anybody because we have figured out how to do everything ourselves. But of course, you know, we all need support as humans. And I think that that's such an important piece of mm. moving out of that independent place and, and into what I call um, an interdependent place, which is between, you know, both of those, the dependent and the independent place. Um, before you're gone, though, I just want to touch on the spiritual piece of, of the book. Mm. And I identify myself as uh, a spiritual therapist. Um, I'm currently putting a group together of therapists who are interested in, in having spirituality as part of their practice. But I'm wondering if you can speak a bit to how spirituality was an important part of your journey. Well, I feel like my whole, I feel like I was afraid of it for a while. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is I grew up Roman Catholic, um, or with the intentions, the expectations to be Roman Catholic <laughs> and all of the belief systems that go with that. And so I was very triggered by the word God. And so when I got into personal development nine years before I was diagnosed, I really um, shifted my focus to universe and source and angels and all of that. And I remember the night I was diagnosed in the hospital and I walked out and I tell the story in the book and I looked up, I was with my husband. I looked up and I just remember saying to the sky, you finally have my attention. Mm. And I really didn't know what or who I was talking to. I just knew it was something bigger than me. And what I meant by that was I'm going to, it was like, I'm going to try to stop controlling, um, all the outcome. And I'm going to trust and I'm going to walk slower. I'm going to move slower and I'm going to listen deeply. And so right off the get-go, it was, um, it was like this deep trust exercise. And I was like, I don't know the outcome, but I just have to live in the moment. And I have to trust, trust in something bigger than me, trust my body, trust the universe, trust God, trust all of this. Yeah. And, um, yeah, there was magical things that happened, like people showing up in my life, doctors just showing up at the exact same moment, connections that were made that would have never been made. Um, and another story that I talk about in the book was it was one night I was in the hospital by myself. Um, and I actually don't, you know, angels are not my thing. Um, I'm a feeler, like I can feel a lot, but there was one night in the hospital where I could see and I was lying there and I just remember you know, feeling so lonely in those dark nights because my husband was home with the kids and I was by myself. And it was this night where I was like, I feel like shit. I feel like I'm going to die. Um, I think this is my time, but the pain was so intense that I just kind of surrendered to all of it. Mm. And I remember like thinking I crapped my bed because it was coming out of both ends. Right. And um, I just surrendered and I was like, I don't even care anymore. Like, I, not like I don't care, but it was like a surrender. Like I'm here, I'm present. Mm -hmm. And I was visualizing 
And I could feel this energy coming into the room. And it was almost like these people, I couldn't see people, but it was like white light, white energy. And they just kept coming in and out of the room all night long. It was like, they were doing surgery on me and it felt like a plucking. And all I could tell or say the next day was like, they were plucking something out of me and putting something back in me. And I woke up the next day feeling like maybe it was belief systems. Maybe it was something But what they were plucking, I was like, I woke up with this feeling of like, I'm going to survive. Like Mm -hmm. before that, I was really living in a a conscious state of fear, but with like hope, if that makes sense. Like my primal brain was like, you're going to die. And then I have this like inner hope. But then that some reason the next day, I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. And fear would still come in and trigger me. But I was like, no, my knowing is that I'm good. And something happened to me last night. Um, later I was told I had like a soul transfer or something, but, um, yeah, I've, I've, since that moment, um, I don't often get back to that sense of surrender, um, which is very humbling when you're there, but yeah, it's, it's been a journey. And every time I want to pretend and I'm using air quotes Mm -hmm. that I don't have a big purpose or that, you know, why can't I just be normal and go get a nine to five? Like, Mm -hmm. why do I want to change the world? And, you know, things suck. Um, I'll see things like, you know, 11, 11, or, you know, a message will show up and it's just, it's just a little tap and reminder. It's like, keep going, like, keep going. What your desires, your desires are there to, to help you on this path. And so much of the human experience is about unlearning and, and tapping back into who you are. So, oh my gosh, Heather, that's so funny. The first topic of my, um, of my group this that I'm starting for uh, mental health clinicians interested in spirituality is unlearning. So there you just touched yes. on there. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, Heather. I mean, this has been such a great conversation and I would love to keep it going, but we do have to end. So I guess if you could just remind the audience of um, the name of your book and how they can find you, um, that would be great. Yeah. So the book is called dying to be a good mother. You can find it anywhere. Books are sold online. I'm very active on my podcast. Mom is in control. Um, and you can also send me a message on Instagram at Heather Chauvet. Thank you so much, Heather. And for anyone who has any additional questions, uh, feel free to reach out to me also on my Instagram at the codependent perfectionist. Uh, thank you so much for listening and thanks for being here, Heather. Thank you, Alana.